Jesus' name. Amen. So we have covered up to this point love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, and goodness. And very quickly, if you recall, this being the nine fruit of the Spirit, these are not gifts of the Spirit, this is the fruit of the Spirit, singular. So when you become a new believer, the Holy Spirit comes and regenerates your heart, makes you a child of God, and with the Spirit comes the fruit of the Spirit. It's not fruits, plural, it is fruit, singular. They all come together. And it is a package deal, if you will. And it is not the gifts of the Spirit, which, which God gives severally and separately as He wills. He gives to every single person the day they become a new convert. He begins to work these things in our lives. This list of non-fruit is, is most certainly not exhaustive, but it is a, a good generalized list that Paul lists out to the Galatians. These are the fruit of the Spirit manifested in people's lives means that you are controlled and filled with the Spirit. You are led by the Spirit, you're walking in the Spirit, and you're allowing the Holy Spirit to govern your life as opposed to the lust of your flesh. The lust of your flesh manifests itself in the works of the flesh that Paul writes about previously in Galatians chapter 5. But these nine fruit, the first triad... Love, joy, peace, this has to do with our relationship with God. Long-suffering, kindness, goodness. The second triad has to do with our interactions with people, how we treat people, relationships. And this last triad, these last three, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, this has to do with principles that guide a Christian's conduct. So looking here tonight at faithfulness. Now the King James has faith. And if you read every single commentary you can read, and if and if... You read somebody who knows a lot more than I do about the Greek and what's what's going on there. A proper translation is faithfulness because the word is pistis in, in, in the Greek for faith. And that is the word that's used there. But it's in the context of faithfulness, being faithful. And not just it's not in the context of having faith in Christ or faith to believe. It's a faithfulness that characterizes your conduct in everyday living. And so this could be defined as the character of one who can be relied on. It is a loyalty and trustworthiness. The dictionary defines faithfulness as firm in adherence to promises or in, or in observance of duty. And some synonyms for faithfulness would be dependable, reliable, trustworthy, loyal. It also implies an absolute honesty and integrity in the actions of your life. Barclay says it is the characteristic of the man who is reliable. So it's someone who is trustworthy, someone who is reliable, someone who is loyal, someone who can be trusted, somebody who who you can you can give a task to and they will see it to the end. It is someone who is dependable, someone who is honest, someone who is full of integrity. That is what a faithful faithful person is. And like some of these other fruit, and many of the things that we're called to do and to work out in our own lives, this characteristic is rooted in the character of God. God is a faithful God. God is faithful. 
And the Bible declares him to be, and he declares himself to be faithful. He says of himself in Deuteronomy 7, 9, Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ. And lastly, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Our The only way that we have the capacity to be faithful is first and foremost is because God is faithful. The Bible declares God's faithfulness to be great, to be established, to be incomparable, to be unfailing. In Psalms 89, 33, it says, Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. His faithfulness is infinite. Psalms 36, 5 says, Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the, the clouds. The Bible declares his faithfulness to be everlasting. For great is his steadfast love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever, says Psalms 117 and 2. God's faithfulness is manifested in his counsels, and chastising his saints, and fulfilling his promises, and keeping his covenant, and exercising his judgments, and forgiving sins to his saints, and he has manifested his faithfulness in creation. Your very existence as a human being, and your existence as, as a child of God, is dependent upon the faithfulness of God. That who he says he is, or what he's going to do, he will do. That what he says, he's serious about it, and he will hold up his end of the bargain. We are dependent on God's faithfulness for our final salvation, for deliverance from temptation, for ultimate sanctification, for the forgiveness of our sins, for deliverance through times of suffering, for the fulfillment of ultimate hope of eternal life. Every aspect of the Christian life rests upon God's faithfulness to us. He who promised is faithful. God who has made promises to you as a child of God, all the promises that are represented, that are stated in the word of God, every promise that God has made, he is faithful to do it. He is faithful to do it. God never says something that he doesn't mean. Whatever he says, it's worthy of your trust. He has proven himself over and over and over. He is the perfect representation. He is himself faithfulness. He is a faithful God. He's even faithful to preserve the unjust and the unrighteous. He upholds the unjust and the un unrighteous. And he's even, un he's even faithful to those who really don't even deserve it. It's, and so, because of God's faithfulness and what we've experienced and been beneficiaries of through God's faithfulness, it is of utmost importance that we as Christians manifest and exemplify this faithfulness in our lives and the way that we conduct our lives. Faithfulness is hard to come by in this world. 
faithfulness and reliability and dependability in people is very hard to come by, which is why Solomon says in Proverbs 20 and 6, he says, most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? Listen, there are a lot of fickle people in this world. A lot of people can be reliable and trustworthy and faithful for a little while. Maybe a day, maybe a week, maybe a year, whatever it may be. Some people can be faithful for a little while. They can be reliable for a little while. But when things become hard, when there's a pressure to compromise, there's a pressure to give up too soon, many people give up on the promises they had made, the commitments that they made, the responsibilities they had taken on, and they are found to be unreliable and fall short of the prize. Once things get get tough, oftentimes people take the easy way out and they give up on their commitments, their responsibilities, and what has been entrusted to them for the task at hand. And listen, All of us have failed in this area in some way or another, whether it be spiritual between us and the Lord or just in everyday life, on the job, growing up as a kid, whatever it may be. Um, I was just reminded today of when I was in high school. I was probably a sophomore in high school. I had a friend. She was a, 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 a girl who was a friend in school. And she was good friends with the neighbor who lived down the street from me. And this neighbor had asked if, through this friend, had asked if I could feed her dog, the neighbor's dog, for a few days while she went out of town. I think she was out of town for two or three days. So my friend, she goes, hey, can you feed your neighbor's dog? So I was communicating through my friend to for this neighbor. And I said, yeah, I can do that two or three days, she's going to pay me for it. And so wouldn't you know, I made that commitment. I said, yes, I drove by that house for those two or three days and completely forgot of the commitment I had made to feed that neighbor's dog. And on a particular day, I clicked with me and I, I realized I have not been feeding my neighbor's dog. And I went over there, I zoomed over there, went in to the where the dog food was, went in there into the garage, and wouldn't you know, I, I heard a car pull up into the driveway, and it was the neighbor. And she pulls into the driveway, comes up and says, hey, how you doing? I said, hey, how, how are you? And I've just fed the dog for the first time when I should have done it for like three or four times previously. She has no idea that... Her dog is starving, and she goes, thank you so much for feeding my dog, and she gives me money. And I'm just like, what do I do? What do I do? And I leave, and I feel so bad. I feel so bad. I call my friend who was communicating, was kind of the middle person, because really I was too cowardly to go back to that neighbor and say, listen, that was the first time I fed your dog, and you do not owe me any money. I'm really sorry. I was too cowardly to do that. I gave, I communicated it through this friend who was closer to the neighbor. But wow, 
I was not found to be faithful with my duties, responsibilities, and the commitment I had made. And I got myself in a pickle. Really embarrassing. I've learned a lot from that. And um, it's something that I'm not proud of. But sometimes teenagers are airheads. But when we look at faithfulness, I want to share with you four areas in which we should manifest and exemplify this fruit of faithfulness in our lives. Number one, faithfulness to the Lord. A faithfulness to the Lord, a fidelity to the Lord, a loyalty to the Lord. And this is only possible by the Spirit's help. I love what one commentator said, the ability to serve God faithfully through the years and through the temptations of life is not something we achieve by heroic virtue. It comes from the Spirit. You are not so strong and so heroic that you're going to be this great and awesome faithful Christian. It's not because we're special or especially gifted or our parents are particular people, or we grew up in a particular household. Listen, every, every single one of us need the grace of God. We need the Spirit of God to be faithful to God over the course of many years, over the course of a lifetime facing a multitude of temptation. You cannot, of your own heroic virtue, remain faithful to the Lord. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. So this is a great relief for, for many of us. You have no power in yourself to do this. You have no power in yourself to maintain a f fidelity and an allegiance to the Lord. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And truly, this is what Paul is saying in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. He says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Paul was faithful, but the Lord enabled me, he said. He goes on to say, Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. The greatest missionary to ever walk this earth who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he said, Jesus has enabled me to walk in this ministry he's called me to. He has found me faithful, but it's because he's enabled me. It's by his grace. And it's first because he has been faithful to me to save such a sinner and wretch as me. It's only the Lord's work. It's only the Spirit's work that has allowed me to be faithful in this work, in this high calling he's called me to. That was the Apostle Paul saying that thing. And the same applies to you and to I. Our fidelity to Christ requires a love and a commitment to Him while abandoning our affection for the world. Uh, Paul said to the Corinthians, who had all these issues, the church was plagued by influence from the pagan culture around them. They had incest, they had debauchery, they had a lot of pride, they had abuse of the spiritual gifts, they were suing each other. There was a great 
influence of the world in the Corinthian church. And Paul had to bring down the hammer in 1 Corinthians. And it, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says this, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband. I betrothed you to one husband, Paul said, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. The devil wants to dis distract you by the craftiness and the deceitfulness of sin, just as he did with Adam and Eve, and corrupt our minds from the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. And he wants us to be removed from a life of holiness to the point that we commit harlotry against the Lord. Throughout the Old Testament, many of the prophets declared over the people of Israel, you are playing the harlot with pagan nations. You are not being true to your Lord. You're not being true to the Lord who has bought you and who is your father. And Paul is saying the same thing. I have betrothed you to one husband, that is to Christ Jesus. You are his bride, and it is my desire to present you as a chest virgin who is pure and holy and blameless, and your first and only allegiance is to Jesus. You love him with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you are committed to him, and you love him. 1 John 1, 15 do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. A love for God will push out a love for the world. A love for the world will push out a love for God. It's of utmost importance that we yield ourselves to the, the Spirit's influence in our lives present ourselves to Jesus as his bride, as a chaste virgin, because he is jealous for us. He has bought and purchased us with his blood. And it is required that we have a love and commitment to him. And we abandon an affection for this world, an affection for anything that would distract us from walking in communion and fellowship with the Lord. We should abandon those things and cast our eyes fully and continually upon Jesus, looking neither to the left or to the right. And so we are called to be faithful to the Lord. Faithful to the Lord. Number two, we are called to be faithful to the tasks or assignments God gives us. All of us have a different calling and assignment that the Lord has given us. All the commands of the Bible apply to all of us. Okay, None of us are exempt. But then each individual has a particular calling has a particular lot in life, has a particular influence, has a particular ministry, has a particular stewardship that the Lord has placed into their lives that God has called us to. And, and before we, we could even think any further in regards to a specific calling, let me just start really with what is common to a lot of us and the faithfulness and dependability that is required for most of us regarding our families. Okay? If you are a parent, if you're a parent, the Lord has given you the holy task of training up your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. You are called to be faithful. That is a task. That is a holy assignment that God has given to you. 
And he asks you to be faithful in training up those children and presenting them to the Lord, giving them to the Lord. When it comes to husbands and wives, most of us are married. When it comes to the husband and the wife, we ought to be honest. We ought to be loyal. We ought to be trustworthy. This is something that is common to most people if you're married. This is a task. This is an assignment of that you're called to be faithful to these relationships. Behave in such a manner that proves you're worthy of trust. Any relationship, both romantic relationships and friendships, is predicated on a bedrock of mutual trust. And oftentimes, trust has to be earned, and it can be lost by actions, bad actions. But behave in such a way, behave in such a way that you prove you are worthy of the trust that you think you should have. We should be devoted to our husband, to our wife. Be fully devoted to them, to them alone. Yes, devoted in regards to love, in a romantic sense, that, that I'm not going to look at anyone, uh, any other person. I'm not going to chase any other person. It's This is my one partner for life, but also just a, a devotion to them in all life circumstances. Most of us, when we were standing at the altar to get married, the vows that we said over one another was something like this. I take thee to be my wedded husband or wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. Many people's marriages end in divorce. Those same marriages started with that very phrase. Something There was a breakdown in the marriage somewhere. But we're called to be faithful even when things are good or bad. When we are in good health or in bad health. We're called to be devoted to our husband. Devoted to our wife. To be faithful to that commitment we've made to each other in the presence of a holy God. Most of you know my grandmother, Charlotte Castle. And if she is watching, hi, Grandma. Um, my grandfather, David Castle, he has had Parkinson's disease for probably, I would say, at least 15 years. Maybe a little more since he's actually been diagnosed. And throughout the years, he's he has degraded in, in health. And, and overall, he's very healthy as far as um, all his vitals and his, his, his heart and his lungs and and his organs, he's in great health except this Parkinson's. It, it does something to your muscles and to your body to the point that you, you lose a lot of functionality in your body. And, and it, we've seen that over the years, um, just the toll that it's taken upon his body. But through all the great affliction and suffering that my grandfather has been through, he would not be here today if it were not for the devoted love of my grandmother. That woman does so much for that man because she loves him and she made a commitment when she was 16 <laughs> and he was, I think, 21 when they got married in Tennessee. Uh, and uh, she has been committed to him for these multiple decades when times were good, when they are both in good health, and now when she has to help him do so many things 
that are necessary for daily existence in life. She is there. She does it with a smile. She does it with love. She does it with joy. Is it easy? No. It is so hard. But because you have made a commitment, you are dedicated to be a faithful person. You've made this, this, this declaration of commitment to this husband or wife that you love. She has made that commitment to my grandfather. She's going to be there. And he's going to be there for her to the very end. And that's how it ought to be with every marriage. You have a commitment to your, or children, you have a commitment to your parents. Um, there are many children who are taking care of elderly parents who are elderly or they are sick in their bodies and they're taking care of them. Um, I, I remember Sue McBride, in, in the later years of her mother's life, came to live with Sue in Armin. And Sue was... was has told of how hard that was. Um, the relationship had been kind of strained with her mother. Her mother wasn't a Christian. Her mother later got saved. And it was a great, something that was very, very hard for, for Sue to do and allow her mother to come into her home and take care of her and to humble herself and to love her and pray for her mom and hold her tongue. But it, it led to her mother being saved, them growing closer one to another, expressing the love of Christ. And at the end of it all, because of a devoted love of a daughter to her mother, her mother was blessed, Sue was blessed, and her mother is in heaven waiting for Sue. And sometimes we're just we're called to do what, what is hard and to take care of an elderly or sick parent. And, and then when it comes to maybe what is may, maybe specific to us when it comes to, to ministry, and both in an official and an unofficial sense. You may not be a children's church teacher or a minister or a teacher or a pastor or a preacher in an official sense, but we're all called to ministry. We're all called to minister to somebody, somewhere, somehow. And God puts people in your life. And He has given you an assignment, maybe. And He has caused people to cross your path. Maybe it's a co-worker or a friend or a family member or even a stranger where God has given you an assignment to express the love of God and to witness to this person so that they might see the love of God and be and come to saving knowledge in Christ Jesus. We're called to be faithful in whatever task God gives us and to be obedient to it. Whatever the Lord asks you to do, you say, I will do it. I, I will be a trustworthy servant. You can give me this task and I will do it. You want me to pray for this person? I'll pray with this. You want me to be long-suffering and patient with this person till, 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 till I die or till they get saved, whatever it may be, so, so be it. You, you want me to do this? You want me to do, do that, Lord? I will do it. I'll be faithful in prayer. I'll be faithful in what you've called me to do and the assignment you have given me. It may be ministry uh, ministry work at church. As a matter of fact, one of the requirements for a minister, for a pastor, for an elder, was one who is found faithful. That's one of the ministry requirements for a pastor is that they are a faithful person. And so, if there is a if you are in ministry in an official sense, you're called to be faithful to that work and not to be lazy to put your hands to the plow and to go forward. Number three, we're called to be faithful to our friends. We're called to be faithful friends. We should be dependable friends. I'm talking about actual friends in your life. 
God cares about, cares that you are a good friend to the people around you. Um, Jesus told the disciples, I now call you friends. And um, we have friends in our lives that are a blessing from the Lord, and we're here to encourage and help one another. And we should be dependable. If we're to be faithful friends, we should be dependable. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and the brother is born for adversity. We cannot be fair-weathered friends, but we should be there in the thick and the thin, in thick and thin, for our friends. If they're in, if they're in, in times of adversity, we're there to encourage, we're there to love them, we're there to, to hold them up, and to be there as ones whom they can depend upon when times get hard. We're not called to be fair-weathered friends. In regards to being faithful friends, we should be honest. We should be found to be honest in our friendships. This is what faithfulness requires. Here's what Proverbs 27, 6, 27 and 6 says. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Real friends tell you the truth and not just what you want to hear. It's a rare thing to find somebody who loves you enough to be honest with you and tell you what you really don't want to hear. That's a true friend. And so it is faithful that are the wounds of a friend. Don't trust the kisses of an enemy. Those are deceitful. But a person who truly has your interest in mind is going to tell you the truth. And we are called to be faithful to those around us, not just tell our friends what we think they want to hear so that we can still be in good favor with them. But because we love them, we care about their interests, we care about their future, we care about their well-being, we will tell them the truth. And we will be faithful to do that. We'll be honest. When it comes to the faith, being faithful friends, we ought to be loyal. Proverbs eleven thirteen: A tale-bearer reveals secrets, but he who is a faithful he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. The well-being and interest of your friends should become your own. We should be a safe place or a refuge for friends who can speak to us in confidence. There are some people who are saying, you know what, nobody ever tells me anything. Well, maybe because you can't keep a secret. That might be one reason. Or maybe you're not a good listener. Or, may, or maybe... They feel like you're not a safe place to share things, to share secrets, to share the, 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 the struggles of their life. If, if you would be just be found to be an individual who is a refuge and a safe place for the secrets and the challenges and, and the struggles of people that they want to express to you, if you can be found to be a loyal friend who whatever comes to you, Whatever is told to you that comes into your ears, it's not coming out of your mouth. That somebody can come to you in confidence and they can, they can spill their guts to you, good and bad. And because you are a loyal friend looking out for their best interests, you can be a safe place. You can be a refuge for them and you will be faithful in retaining what they have told you in confidence. One of the greatest friendships you can look at in the Word of God is the friendship that Jonathan and David had together in the Old Testament. What a wonderful friend Jonathan in particular was to David. 
Jonathan, being the son of Saul, he was next in line to take the throne. And at the expense and at the cost of the throne, which would be lost to him, he maintained this loving friendship with David. He knew that his friendship with David would cost him the throne, but because Jonathan was a righteous man who loved God and who was a faithful friend to David because he loved him more than his ties to his kin, to his father, he had a tie with David based upon righteousness and faithfulness and love, first to God and then to his dear friend, which was David. And we cannot allow anything to come between us being faithful people, faithful friends, faithful husbands, faithful wives, faithful parents, faithful children. We cannot allow nothing, even uh, blood ties. We cannot allow anything to allow us to compromise our faithfulness and the commitments we have made. This does not make this does not allow us to have an allowance for a blind loyalty. We should be loyal to people, but it's not a blind loyalty. You've heard the phrase, blood is thicker than water, and there's a reason for that phrase, because people will fight tooth and nail for absolute wrong, objective moral wrong, when the person who is wrong is their close loved one. They will stand up and they will justify wrong behavior because it's somebody who is of blood relations. We should not fall prey to a blind loyalty, but we should be on the side of truth. And um, so we should always be faithful to the truth first before the person, <clears throat> and faithful to righteousness and the principles of God and biblical behavior. Lastly, number four, we should be faithful in our commitments. Commitments in regards to church life, number one. Um, you've heard the phrase church hoppers. Um, in every church, there is a rotating door that is main that maintains its rotation by people who are going in and out, in and out, in and out. And um, that's common for every church for all time. But we are called to be faithful to our church. We're called to be faithful, yes, in attendance, but we're called to be faithful in all areas of our life when it comes to church life. Um, if, if you're going to be committed to a church, if you're going to call a church your church home, be committed to that church. Be committed in your faithfulness, in your time, in your talents, in your resources. Be committed to that place. Because listen, the leadership of that church is committed to you. And so we should have a commitment in regards to that church whether if it be a volunteer position, whether if it be giving to the Lord in your time, your talents, your money, your resources, be faithful in regards to church life and the commitment you have made to your local church. It is of absolute necessity that you do that. The life of a church is dependent upon the faithfulness of its people. Faithful to the Lord first and foremost and faithful to the each individual member of the body, each of us mutually showing faithfulness one to another, taking care of one another. It's of, up, of utmost importance that we exhibit this in church life. We should exhibit a faithfulness in regards to our commitments when it comes to our workplace, to our job. Listen, it is a lot harder 
for your boss to fire someone, to fire you for trustworthiness. It's a lot harder to fire a trustworthy and honest employee. Keeping a job and advancing in that job and in your career and working your way up has a lot more to do with your work ethic than with your smarts or gifting. If you can be found as a reliable, conscientious, honest, and dependable, and trustworthy employee, I guarantee you that will take you a lot more places than just pure talent or gifting. Because pure gifting and talent does not compensate for laziness. And it is a lot harder to get fired when you are trustworthy, when you are dependable, when you are reliable, when you're conscientious, when you can when you can be trusted with a task and assignment, it goes a long, long way. And when it comes to our job or anything we do, we should do it as unto the Lord and to His glory. So when you go to your workplace, it's not just a place, a necessary evil that is allowing you and ensuring you to pay your bills. It is a place where you can glorify God and you can show that you're a trustworthy person. You're a trustworthy worker who is worthy of the trust of your employer. We should be faithful in the appointments we make. Now, appointments, I'm not meaning, not necessarily like doctor's appointments or hair appointments, but the appointments that you make with people, the agreements you come to with people to meet, to deal with one another, to maybe have lunch, everything when it comes to you making agreements with others, you should be found faithful. So when it's like this, hey, yeah, let's get lunch this day. You make you make the appointment, you, you make lunch, and you get there late, or you cancel last minute because you didn't make enough time and allowance for it. What I mean by this is that you should be so conscientious of other people's time, other people's lives, other people's efforts to make appointments, to make meetings, that you should be found faithful in the commitments you have made. <clears throat> Not bailing on people for prearranged meetings or lunches or appointments. Sometimes we legitimately have to cancel on things. But I think you understand what I'm saying. That, that, that when we say, I'll be there at this time, I'll be there for you, I'll be there for that meeting, I'll be there for that appointment, that you are faithful and you're dependable, you're going to be there. And you're not going to bail on people. That what you say, you're going to do. And so we should be found faithful in that regard. And then lastly, we should be found faithful in regards to our commitments in honoring our word. I'd like to ask you this. Do you honor your word that you give to people? Do you honor your word that you give to people? Do you uphold the commitment of your word with your actions? It's very easy to make all kinds of promises and commitments with your mouth. But when the rubber meets the road, it's will you do it? Will, you, will it be manifested in the actions of your life? It's of utmost importance that we honor our word and we can be found faithful in that. In conclusion, in conclusion, 
if you recall, in Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable. He tells a parable of a man, a master of a house who goes on a journey, and he gives money to three servants. To the first servant, he gives five talents, five pieces of money. To the second servant, he gives two pieces of money. To the last servant, he gives one piece of money. And he instructs them, and actually he gives to each of these, to each according to his ability. Okay, He gave a specific assignment to each one. It was a different amount, but the instruction was the same to all of them. Take this money and now go increase the worth of this money. Find a way. Find a way to put this money to work so that when I come back from my journey, you will have more money in your hand than what I left with. And it tell, the, uh, Jesus tells us that the servant who had five talents, when the master came back, he had made a return on his money and he had ten talents to present to his Lord. And the man who had been given two talents, he doubled his money and he presented to the master four talents. And the master told both of these men, he said, Well done, good and faithful servant. 